Will you turn with me, first of all, to one verse, and then we'll come back to it again later. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, but we will come back to this portion of Scripture a little later. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And then if you'll go to the Old Testament, please, to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 64. Beginning to read of verse 1, we'll read the first four verses. Isaiah 64, verse 1. And the prophet declares, O oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things, which we look not for, thou camest down, and the mountains flow down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that awaiteth for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the very singing of the songs of Zion. We thank you for this place where we can come still in freedom and in liberty to exalt the name of Jesus and to worship you. We thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus, for his precious shed blood. We thank you for your living word in our hearts and read in our ears. And so now, Father, we ask you to settle us in your presence that we, O oh God, would have receptive hearts. Lord, you'd give us understanding to see, to hear, to behold, to receive the word of God, that engrafted word which is able to save the soul, the word of God which changes a man and a woman. And cause us to leave here rejoicing in our God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray and we ask it. Amen. I think if we look at our nation and we see the state of things that are happening around us, we could say that our cry should be like that of the prophet. When we look at what is going on, whether it's in a newspaper. I don't buy the newspapers, as you know, but if you read a newspaper, or if it's online, or if it's in the news, on your television, whatever it may be, wherever it may be, our nation is in a terrible, terrible state. Our nation has fallen from greatness because they have thrown out the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Our nation has done away with the law of God. And our nation has done away with the preaching of the undiluted gospel of saving faith, save in a few places who 
are still holding fast to the truths of God's Word. Our nation don't want to hear about the name of the Lord Jesus. People don't want to hear about the things of God and His glory. They don't want to see, even when the enemies are encroaching around about these island home of ours, and whether that be from a cultic European Union which wants to bind us, to hold us, to enslave us back again, who are trying their best like they did with the Republic of Ireland when they asked them twice did they want to leave the European Union. They asked them again, you don't know what they're talking about until they decided to stay. The enemies are all around us, the enemies of God's Word. We look at the liberal left, the political elitism. We look at those who are now wanting us to never mention the word Jesus, the name of our Lord and Savior. Don't preach about the blood, for you preach about the blood, it offends. If you mention the blood of Jesus, it's claiming that He is solely and uniquely, exclusively the only way to the Father, the only way of salvation and redemption for our people. Don't mention His name, don't mention His blood, don't preach His word, but rather tell us soft things that we want to hear. Tell us things that we want to tickle our ears, but don't tell us what we need to hear because it may offend those of others' faiths and those who do not believe in this Christ which you preach. Brothers and sisters, we don't set out to offend, but we do set out to lay down the truth. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only way of salvation and redemption, exclusively and only and uniquely in Christ. And there is no other way, even as we've been singing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Christ, for when he paid our debt, he paid it in full, and there's nothing to be added to it. So our enemies are all around. Just this week, beginning of this week, the enemies, even of Ulster, were hard at work. Not only were they hard at work to try and lure us away from our united kingdom, but also to bring us stealthily into Europe by claiming uh, that we would be better with a united Ireland in Europe. We also know that behind the European Union are papal powers, our Jewish banking powers, and behind it, it is a one-world government. Behind it, it is uniquely funded by men like the Rothschild family and the Bilderbergers. We think of all that's happening, and we think of how the enemies of our little province have tried to take us into the abyss, swallow us up in Europe. Look, even Britain have now conceded fallen flat on their face. They have given over our heritage to the heathen, allowing all sorts of gods to be worshipped, to be named, to be proclaimed, all sorts of heathen deities to be exalted, save the one true living God and his name one, the name of Jesus. Here the prophet looks at Israel and a remnant are left. There seems no hope 
There seems no life left. There seems no truth left in the land. And the only one whom he can turn to is Almighty Yahweh himself. When are we going to learn that the only one that we can trust fully, totally and completely, is the Lord Jesus Christ, Yahweh in flesh? Here we see that the prophet is saying, the only hope for Israel, the only hope for you and I tonight, the only hope for our island home is to turn to the living God, the God of our fathers. Here he cries unto God. Three things we'll look at in these four verses. First of all, he calls on the person of Christ. Secondly, he calls on the power of Christ. And thirdly, he calls on the promise of Christ. Here it is, the person, the power, and the promise of the coming Christ. Notice what he says in verse 1. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down. There's nobody else to turn to. And so he cries unto God, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, and that thou wouldest come down. Lord, we're trusting in you alone. Lord, he's saying, with a heartfelt, sincere, and honest cry, he's saying from deep within his innermost being, he sent our only hope, the only hope for the world, the only hope for us, is that you would come down. I'm speaking personally to you, Lord. When will the church even get it into their being? When will the church get it into their psyche, their mindset, and their heart that we need to start to call on the Lord to come? Even so, come, Lord Jesus, she be the cry from every mouth of every redeemed heart. For only in the coming of Christ is our hope and our full salvation. Here we find the prophet cries, Oh, that thou wouldest come down. Notice the very pathos, the very need. There's an air of helplessness in his voice. There's an air of desperation in his word. And there's a sign of frustration in his cry. He says, Oh, that thou wouldest. None other, Lord, and none else. We don't look for another. We don't wait for anyone else. He says, but oh, that thou wouldest. Thank the Lord that he's still on the throne. <laughs> Thank God he's still in control, for Mrs. May would have sold us down the river. Let's be honest. Mrs. May would have sold us down the river. Thank God that he's still in charge. And even though I think that there's a contingent away from here over to there, I still think that they're selling us short that we need to take our stand as a church and say, thus far and no further, we will take nothing but the blood, nothing but the gospel, nothing but the truth, and all other things outside of God's word. We are not to stand with those with blood on their hands, but those who are washed in the blood of Christ. Amen. When will we learn? Can't two walk together? except they be agreed, saith the Scriptures. Is it any wonder our government has fallen apart? Is it any wonder they fall at every hurdle? And I know they're only men, and I know they're only women. But when you put the Lord first, and you understand that they must come under the blood, there must be repentance of sin, and then walk according to the Word of God, to lay flat on its face the whole of government and say, here we stand. We can do no other as Martin Luther cried when he faced Rome. So we must do the same. It's time our government stood up to Europe. 
It's time our government stood up for the gospel. But we know they won't. They're full of left-wing atheists, liberals, communists. That's what they're full of. Here we see the prophet. He has a desperation in his voice that if you don't come, God, then we're finished. If you don't get involved, Lord, then we're done for. If you don't come, Lord, and intervene, then there is no other hope nor help for us. And brothers and sisters, you may think that I am being very political tonight. I don't mean to be political. But what I'm saying is it's time the church stood up and was heard and says we are not going to accept it anymore. It's time we says that we must take our stand for Christ. Here we have the prophetess speaking and calling upon the name of the Lord. Here he's calling on the reputation of God. And he says, save you come, Lord. All that thou wouldest, you, I'm speaking personally to you, Lord. I'm speaking, I'm talking to you. He's not talking into the air. He's not talking to, as the atheists like to mock God's people, to some sky fairy as they call him. He's not speaking to some old man with a withering white beard in the sky and the clouds of heaven. He's speaking to the very God of heaven. And he's calling on his glory and on his fame and on his reputation in time past among his people. Or oh, when will we learn? Every time that this nation has called from our monarchy has called for a national day of prayer. God has interfered and, and intervened in miraculous ways where he has even calmed the seas and he's placed storms between them and the enemy. God is still in charge, brothers and sisters. We must believe that with all of our hearts. This prophet is not calling into nothing. He's not shouting into space. He's not speaking to some imaginary friend. And he's not simply releasing his frustrations into the air. He's not just speaking to himself. And neither is he, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 26, as one that beateth the air. There's no shadow boxing going on here with the prophet. He's laying hold on the person of Christ. He's laying hold on the Almighty God who walked with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's laying hold of the God of our fathers. And he's saying, oh, thou wouldest come. And none other will do. None other's going to do it. And I know, I, I'll maybe talk about it some other time because it's a whole quagmire and a mess of Donald Trump in Jerusalem and all that. I thought Jerusalem was the capital city. Anyway, what's a big shout about? Anyhow, let's move on. And whether it's all of these things that are happening in the world, I'll tell you what I believe is happening. Donald Trump has been a hook in the jaws of the nations to call them in. Check the book of Ezekiel. The Lord says, I'll put hooks in your jaws and I'll draw you in. Oh, here we find, anyway, let's move on to this. Here we have a nation in trouble, a people in need, and none other can help it and there will be no help for us. Save God intervenes. You think about it. The things you used to see that would have shocked you are now everywhere. The things that would have been totally rejected are now fully accepted. The sin that we once wouldn't even have thought of happened in the church, never mind outside, is now infiltrating the church. And all of these things are 
watering down, pushing aside the things of God in our land. Here the prophet, the prophet is in desperation and with great honesty knows he can do absolutely nothing as he is simply a weak vessel. And he is a mortal man whose breath is in his nostrils. He knows that this will take a miraculous move, a supernatural sign from a sovereign hand. And that's what it's going to take, brethren. That's what it's going to take, sisters, from our God. But listen, it's prayer. It's the vehicle that moves the hand that holds the word. And the church has forgot to pray for the nation. It's always about Auntie Aggie's sore toe and Uncle Bob's sore belly. That's all it's about. And by all means, pray for their toes and their bellies if you want. But let's pray because we have children and we have grandchildren. And what are they going to face by the time they get their should Jesus tarry? There'll be nothing left in our nation of our heritage. Nothing left in remembrance. But I can tell you, even though scattered Israel became gentilized, I can tell you, God knew every one of them. There's a difference here, you see. Here the prophet has come to behold the reality and the beauty of his God. And it's to this one, this person, his personality cries out, Oh, that thou wouldest, that thou wouldest come down. That thou wouldest come down. He's saying, if you show your power, if you display your glory here, Lord, if you get involved and intervene, if you interfere in all of our affairs, oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, show them, Father, and come down. Isaiah's declaring, I can't do this. I can't get this people to take heed, to sit up and listen. I can't turn them, nor change them, nor save them, nor redeem them. Thou wouldest come down, but Come down in power and glory and show your terrifying splendor as you did in days of old, then things, things would be different. We're getting to the place where I believe that this nation is going to come. Look, there are those Islamic terrorists have went out and they've fought over in Syria and places like it. And sure, there was one I read yesterday, he was allowed back. And whenever he was allowed back, someone said something offensive to him, a Christian, and he was put in prison, the Christian. What has this nation come to? The land has lost their teeth. Our government is full of men and women with backbones like soft noodles and carved out of banana. What is wrong with them? The prophet looks at the state of the people. And this is you if you're not saved tonight. In Isaiah 64, our chapter, and in verse 6, if you look at it, he looks at the state of the people and he says, but we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags and we do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. The prophet is saying here, look, Father, we're unclean. 
Almighty God, Yahweh, we're unclean. We're a filthy. We're iniquitous. We are dying in our sin. The heathen is having his way. Our government is destroying us. Our monarchy. Well, there's another story. If you don't come down, we're finished. We're done. But we won't be finished because he has promised that he will send forth his spirit that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. We need to pray into the promise of God. Listen, thank the Lord we have to give credit where credit's due that there were 10 people there in London who were able to hinder Theresa May during the week. But to me, we should never have been in the predicament in the first place. Here we see that our sins are unclean. We're filthy and iniquitous if we're not saved. We look at our nation and that's the state of our people before God. That's the state of the people. You see walking even the best of people who are not Saved, who haven't come to the cross, who are not under the blood, who are not trusting in Jesus' finished work, his one time, once for all sacrifice, which will never be repeated again. He's, the Lord tells us that we are unclean and filthy and iniquitous and dying in our sin. And listen, if you die without Christ in your sin, then you will spend eternity without Christ. The Bible tells us that. Romans 6 and 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and people have said to me recently, the, the ungodly, how they seem to prosper. David said that and wrote in the Psalms about it. He says, Until I went into the sanctuary, then I understood their ways. And all the things that are the facade of the outside world that seem great and wonderful and splendid and attractive and glorious and mighty, we all think, well, what about us as a church, as Christians, that we are put down? Listen, brothers and sisters, you and I are children of the living God, sons and daughters of the King. We have a great inheritance in Christ. It's time we understood it. It's time we realize that the wages of sin is death and while people seem to be enjoying themselves and doing well in their sin, they just haven't arrived at payday yet. It hasn't turned their payday yet. If you work for a week or a month, you'll work all that and you eventually get the payday and the wages of that sin is death. Thank God he offers us a free gift. The gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ. Listen, there is no eternal life outside of Christ. You can have an eternal death if you want. But there's only eternal life found in Christ. And that's a gift. Our sin has brought us low. The enemy is all around. Look what he says in verse 11 of the chapter. Our holy and our beautiful house, where our Father praised thee, is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Do you know what he's basically saying? Our heritage is gone. Israel is scattered. See, by this time, the northern kingdom are being taken away and Judah's starting to go with them. And he's going, what's happening to our nation? 
What's happening to our people? What's happening to our land? He says, Lord, everything that we knew, our holy and our beautiful house where, where our father where, we, where our Father praised thee is burned up with fire and our pleasant things are laid waste. Father, you've blessed us with so much and now it's all coming tumbling down. Great is Britain. Britain. Where's her greatness? Queen Elizabeth, when asked by the Indian prince, what is the secret of England's greatness? She handed him a copy by raising up the authorized version of the Word of God. She says, this is the secret of England's greatness. Do you know where the secret of Britain, UK's greatness will be again? When we get back to this. Listen, not only, I'm not talking about the outside too, I'm talking about in the pulpit. In the pulpit. heard all sorts. Minister, a lady minister opened up the Mr. Man book. You know the kid's story, the Mr. Man book, and taught from the Mr. Man. And some of you know are grumpy today. There's a Mr. Grumpy. This is in the service. What is the world coming to? I read this week Pentecostal church put online. Can anybody tell me and advise me a good movie to show in church for Christmas? How about lift the word and preach it? Any wonder the spirit is bereft in many places. Any wonder. Here, the prophet says in verse 11, it's our heritage. The temple. What about our churches? Everything that is precious to us in our faith. The churches have become movie houses and the derelict ones have become bars. Praise the Lord that this used to be a bar and the Lord's turned it into the church. Even the nominal Christian goes, no longer goes to church but wants to go to the Sunday shops or wants to go and, and have the car boot sale. I remember a man saying to me, oh, you want to see all them? He says, I think they're all Muslims. He says, the car boot sale was full of them. I says, when was this? He says, Sunday. I says, well, why were you not in church? <laughs> they're taking over. I says, well, if you were in church, you wouldn't know that. You could be praying for them. <coughs> praying about it. The prophet closes his prayer here with, notice what he says in the last verse of Isaiah 64, Wilt thou refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace and afflict us very sore? God gets the blame. It's your fault, where are you? Are you going to refrain yourself? Look what's happening. How is it that all these Islamic extremists can come into our country and go into concert halls and kill a lot of children 
How is it that they can go and do other things like this and, and put bombs out and run people down with their cars and stab people over bridges in London? How is it this can happen? Where are you, God? God says, you told me you didn't want me long ago. You told me you didn't want me long ago. Sunday schools are being shut down. Teach the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord tells us where to teach our children. Sunday schools being shut down. Children's meeting no longer do the people have a heart. Faithfulness in the heart of God's people has waned for his house. Anywhere. Anything but the house of God on the Lord's day. Here, the prophet says, Wilt thou refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace? This is personally, speaking personally to God. We afflict his very sore. You see, man's inhumanity to man, and some of the things we see around uh, on, our, on, on screens and, and the news bulletins and things. Some of the horrific things that are man's inhumanity to man, no matter whether it's Muslim or against Muslim or Muslim and Christian or, or Jewish and Palestinian or, or Palestinian and Jewish. Look, we need to tell you, so man's inhumanity to man is rotten. It's vile. No matter where it comes from or who it comes from, that goes across the divide here too. Protestant, Catholic, and whatever way you want to put it. But we all say, well, where was God in it? Where was God in it? Here the nation no longer seems to have God. I don't know about you, but only for my own personal walk, I find at times when I look around, it's godless. Is it just me or does our nation seem to be godless? I believe the Lord will let us get so low and he will send the word of the Lord back to the nation. Corrie Ten Boom, listen to what she said. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. And God at some time strips us of everything. allows everything to be stripped of us until we realize we allowed our job and our home and our house and our children and our families and our parents and our, and our, 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 our jobs, everything, our money, our finances, our bank accounts. We, we allow it all to come and pile up on top of us until God is somewhere down the list. And sometimes he just strips us of it all until we realize he's all I have. Oh, Lord, you're all I need. You're all I need. Listen to C.S. Lewis on the problem of pain. Maybe some of you are going through a painful time. Listen to this. The prophet's going through pain. The nation's going through pain. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sometimes he allows us to get so low 
that we will call upon his name. Get back into that place of seeking his face. Get back into that place of prayer. Whenever all else has failed and we've tried every avenue, we've talked to every person, we've tried to be encouraged by every single thing and everything has failed us and we realize we have no strength, uh, we realize all we have is him. The prophet is saying, all I have is you. Listen, then he says, ah, but when I have you, I have more than enough. I have everything I need. And brothers and sisters, when we realize that, we will have everything we need. Oh, that thou wouldest. Round the heavens that thou wouldest come down. His person. That's the longest point you'll be glad to hear. Secondly is his power. His power. Let's read the verses in Isaiah 64. Verses 1 to 3. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversary, that the nations may tremble at thy presence, when thou didst terrible things which we look not for. Thou camest down, the mountains flow down at thy presence. He said, Ah, Lord, if you come down now, it's your person. I personally know that you can do this. Only you can do this. Now your power. Now your power. Lord, do you remember when you came down in Exodus 19, when Israel become married, the bride of Yahweh? Do you remember Moses officiating through the law? You come down on the mount three days later, says prepare yourself for him coming. And three days later, you come down and the mountain shakes and trembles. Do you remember, Lord, the things that you did, the Red Sea? Do you remember, Lord, whenever you brought us through the manna and the quail, the water out of flinty rock? Do you remember, Lord? Because we remember that. If you come like that, everyone will believe. If you come in power, everyone will understand you. He calls for the greatest power of God to come and to change the nation, to change the people, to change their hearts to change the land. Here's what he's saying. He's remembering Yahweh's past potent and provisional power, supplying their need. And so in short, he is crying, do it again, Lord. Do it again. Do it again, Lord. Come yourself and do it again. You know, he is the same. Yesterday and today and forever. Stuart Hamblin was a, a country music singer at the time of Roy Rogers. You know, you know the singing cowboys? He was fond of the old drinking. He went to hear a young preacher in Los Angeles preaching in a great big tent mission. And that young preacher was Billy Graham. He hears the gospel and he gets saved. He's walking along Hollywood Boulevard one day with John Wayne, a young John Wayne. And John Wayne says to him, well, Stuart, what's this I hear? You've hit the sawdust trail and changed your life and things that's happened to you. Stuart Hamlin turns to John Wayne and says, John, well, it is no secret what God can do. And what he's done for others, he can do for you. Stuart Hamlin went home and wrote that song. 
It is no secret what God can do, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. Here the prophet says, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down. Yet in verse 12, he cries, Wilt thou refrain thyself, Lord? Why are you not answering my prayer? Do you ever feel like that? Listen to the Puritan Henry Smith. He says, Mercy hath a heaven, and justice a hell to display itself to eternity. But long-suffering hath only a short time lived on earth. Whatever you're going through, sister, whatever you're going through, brother, this earth, although it seems long to us, remember, where are you, Lord? Remember, a thousand years is like one day to him. So even a week, it's like a blink of an eye. So God's delays are not his denials. Let us keep praying for one another, but let us keep praying for the lost. Let us keep praying for those who have fallen away from the faith. And let us keep praying that God would come again and that God would mightily move upon our people. Here is the power of God, that God works in men's hearts and in women's hearts to make them sons and daughters of God, to bring them to his kingdom. Thirdly and finally is the promise. That is his promise. The prophet prays and proclaims his person, his power, now his promise. Look at verse 4 of Isaiah 64. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for thee. Notice. Now, the thing is here, God, what have you prepared for us that waiteth for you, says the prophet? We can't fully grasp it. We can't fully understand it. But what is it, Lord, that you've prepared? Jesus in John 14, verses 1 to 3, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, Jesus is coming from heaven to earth. That we will be in his kingdom. But notice this. The prophet is saying, he hath, what he hath prepared for him, that waiteth for him. He's praying this to the to Almighty God. He's praying to Yahweh. What have you prepared for him who waits for him? And I know that Paul takes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. But when Paul takes this, he changes it slightly. Let's turn to it for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, he says. The prophet says that waiteth for him. Paul says it's that love him. You see, here's the difference here, because we tend to read that, and look, there's nothing wrong with it, but we look, to, I wonder what God's kingdom will be like. No pain and no sickness and no suffering, no separation, no sorrow. Loved ones reunited in Christ. Worship and praise 
and around the thrones, the angels, the seraphim, seraphim, the cherubim, and, and all the heavenly hosts and all the myriads around it. And we're trying to think of it in the mind boggles and we hear of party gates and golden streets and that's just really to help us understand the glory of it. It's way beyond our eyes and ears can know. But listen, I want to tell you something. I don't believe that they're talking about that. I don't believe that's what he means here. Yes, that's what we can go to through Christ. But I don't believe that's what he's talking about here. Paul says, which God hath prepared for them that love him. Paul isn't changing or twisting the word of God here or the scripture. No. Paul is trying to, some may try, pardon me, to explain the difference in being that they wait on the Lord. Or they wait for the Lord. And so if you wait on him, you're showing you love him. That's okay. That may be so. But I don't believe that is the thrust of this. I don't believe it at all. Let me show you what I believe it is. I submit this to you. Isaiah 64 and verse 4 is the promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is the fulfillment. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 7. Paul is speaking of Christ. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Notice the terminology of Paul. God's ordained it before the world. Go into Isaiah 64 and he says it was, For since the beginning of the world, man has not known this. God has ordained this before the world unto our glory. Notice which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they have known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul is now speaking about Christ. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. I believe that Paul is taking this and saying, Isaiah, the hope of Israel, the hope of man and the hope of woman, the hope of the world, it's already happened, Isaiah. Prayer has been answered. Christ has come. And he has shed his blood to redeem his own. That's what Paul is saying. And the eye can't see, nor the ear heard, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. In other words, those who have waited, wait no longer, for it's already done. He's already come. He's already shed his blood. He's already paid the price. He's settled our debt. It's paid and full. He's went to the grave and he's risen the third day and he's ascended into glory. He's seated at the right hand of God and there he's interceding for us. And oh, when that kingdom comes, he is going to rend the heavens then. And he is going to come down. He is going to show himself. Listen, it's not going to be secret. It's not going to be a secret thing. He's going to come with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. He's going to come and the dead and the graves will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Where will we be? His feet are going to land. And that day he's going to stand at the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. You walk in the eastern gate. 
and he'll be seated on a throne, not in a temple, on a throne. And he will be declared and admired in all of us who love him, King of kings, Lord of lords. Queen Elizabeth, if she's alive, hope she is, will hand her crown that she has kept for Christ. David's royal throne to the son of David. If old Trump is still on the go, he's not going to be able to declare anywhere a capital city. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something. A lot of Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. God's going to judge. And the greatest power that the world has seen has come down in the person of Christ at Calvary. The power to redeem. The power to save. The power to cleanse and to heal through the precious blood that he shed. And the power that is to come is the coming kingdom of God and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever from the throne of David, over the house of Jacob, and over the whole world. <laughs> now, isn't that something to behold? But are you saved? Are you saved? An old hymn writer said, Once heaven seemed a far-off place, till Jesus showed his smiling face, now it's begun within my soul to last while endless ages roll. 